So we've been working through these character qualities in First Timothy chapter 3. We've uh, been talking about uh, people who build churches, right? God uses these people. Paul was in the church building business. Uh, Ephesians is all about that. But Timothy uh, has the, you know, his disciple, his son in the Lord Timothy, has lots of good admonitions. We've talked about the glory of godliness reflected in the uh, characteristics of the office. The office is good. The work is good. The office is for godly men. We've uh, looked at... Uh, verses 1 through 7, we're still working through uh, some of that. Um, and uh, we talked about the mystery of godliness and why it's relevant um, to this topic uh, because it, the, the glory of godliness is reflected in the characteristics of the office. And so that's a scary thing to consider. And uh, we know that the office is good, but it, the officers need to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that the pastor, the, the and point two is that it's reflected in the character of the offices, officers, I should say. Uh, point A, the pastor's character uh, then must be, right? We talked about how this is an optional, it must be uh, part of the character of blame, being blameless. Um, and uh, the husband of one wife, uh, we talked about being vigilant and sober. And uh, you guys need a handout? Yeah, sorry. Well, you guys were, what, on the honeymoon or something? So, <laughs> it's just love is in the air tonight. Made flowers and all that. So, uh, praise the Lord. Um, so, we talked about good behavior, uh, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Uh, and then, that's as far as we got. So, where are we at now? Not given to something. Uh, so let's pick it up. Let's in your Bibles, First Timothy chapter three, and verse one. It says, "This is a true saying: If a man uh, desire the office of a bishop, so it's important that these are men, not females. He desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. And we're going to pick it up in verse three tonight. Not given to wine will be our blank on point nine." Not given to wine, no striker, uh, not uh, greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil." Heavenly Father, we thank you for time to visit in your word. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word tonight. Uh, I pray for our prayer meeting. Lord, uh, it's important that we pray. Uh, thank you for these that are gathered. Lord, uh, we can get a lot of traction uh, in the kingdom of God tonight with the, these that are gathered in prayer. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be prepared, tilled by the word of God tonight, that uh, we would just have a soft, contrite, humble heart as Ron was praying as well. And uh, Lord, uh, great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto us. We just thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We are so thankful for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us this day. And we pray, God, that you be glorified in all that's said and done. And we just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so number nine is not given to wine. And so the previous items are things that, uh, you know, to do, right? When you look at that list, it's a to-do list. They must be blameless, uh, you know, husbands of one wife, 
um, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. So those are the things that you need to display. Uh, these are things that need to be present, need to be uh, manifest. Now we're doing things that you, this here is something you don't need to do and not given to. So there's the two is what you can, should be. Number two is what, you, or number three there, verse three is what shouldn't be. Not given to wine. And so um, many, many will argue that this passage is not arguing of total abstinence. And, uh, and I would give them that in the context in which it's written and for the medic- medicinal use of alcohol. Uh, conversely, I do not think that this is a passage to give the pastor liberty to drink socially at all. Um, and so in the context of contemporary culture, there really is no reason for a pastor to indulge in alcohol in any way. Um, Romans 14.21 says, It's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, uh, nor anything whereby the brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And I just think you just take that to the bank and just run with it. Paul writing here is asking, uh, or telling, I should say, the saint, not just the pastor, to stay away from drinking wine, if you can. Uh, In our world, we do not need to mix some uh, wine with water to neutralize the bacteria in the water. The the wise saint stays away from alcohol for uh, the reasons I'm going to give you right now. Uh, Number one, it's a mocker. If it often gets hold of you before you know, uh, you don't have before you know it has a hold of you. I don't know. That's not good English, but it often does get a hold of you before you know it. That's really what I'm trying to say. And so Proverbs 20 and verse one says, "Wine is a mocker; strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise." And typically, people that get bit by alcohol, uh, you know, you don't start off slamming shots. So that that's obviously strong drink is raging. Um, doesn't take long for that to take effect. But a little wine is usually where people, especially Christians, that's usually where they get caught. I just literally was visiting with a brother last week about this very thing, and uh, you know, and he's all he would say that he agrees with this hundred percent. And I warned him. I said, "Well, brother, um, you know, I'm not saying this just because I'm a teetotaler, but." You need to be careful with the little wine for your stomach's sake because it'll get a hold of you, you know. Um, take melatonin is what I told him. So, because uh, he's this brother was dependent on it to get some sleep at night, and that's how it starts. And so, anyway, we also don't want to be a stumbling block. Paul is uh, speaking of meat, 1 Corinthians 8, uh, but it could also apply to the use of alcohol, right? So in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, in verse 9, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours be Become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So he was talking about eating meat offered unto idols and the liberty that is there. Um, but uh, you know, when it comes to, to the office of a pastor here, he's not saying uh, a little. He's just saying not given to wine. Um, uh, now, in the historical context, I do think there's probably a little more liberty in the first century here than, than what I think we should have today. So I'm a little more legalistic about it today because you don't need it. I mean, you're not going to, we're not frequenting different, you know, villages and parts where that's the only safe thing to drink around here, you know, typically. Although you do have to be careful about the water in Harrisonville. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you definitely, uh, you know, I don't think that is the same uh, context. So we are priests and kings, Revelation 1.6, and the scripture encourages uh, royalty to abstain from the use of alcohol. Uh, Proverbs 31.4 says, It is not for kings. Uh, did I, I left these verses in your outline, right? So you have access to them. Yeah. Um, no? Yeah, I did. Proverbs 31.4? Yeah. 
So I'm just making sure you have these so you can find your references. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto them that are ready to perish, and wine unto them that be of heavy hearts. In verse 6, okay, that's the exception. Uh, strong drink. There is a time for strong drink. We've all seen the old western, you know, the guys in the Civil War, and he's about to get his arm cut off, and they have him bite on a twig and give him a shot of whiskey before he gets his arm amputated. Okay, uh, hey, and he may die. So just go ahead on that. In that case, that's fine. I mean, literally, I mean, that's a, that's a literal application of what we're talking about here. That is how it used to be. Um, there's a medicinal application to even strong drink and uh and and to wine someone who's preparing to pass uh of course if a lot of people preparing to pass are in great pain and agony anyway and so uh, it thins the blood as well and helps so there is some medicinal benefits but as you can see uh the 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 admonition is to stay away for a king stay away uh from wine and strong drink why because it perverts your judgment and uh, and we are kings and priests, so it will pervert our judgment as Christians as well. Now we've gone through the temperance movement here for sure in this country, uh, and now it's looked at almost as a joke. But it shouldn't be. Uh, we went from legalism to license, so we, it's like we go back and forth, back and forth in this in this country. But uh, I'm still sticking to my guns on on the, the letter of the law on here, and I think it is wise for a pastor not to indulge at all for the reasons I've just listed. So the passage ends with the use of alcohol for medicinal purposes, it would be like someone socially taking oxycodone, right? So we don't allow that. Why, do, why don't we just say, hey, anybody wants some oxycodone, just go out here to the connections counter. If you're feeling like you need some, we'll give you some, right? That's it's absurd, right? We don't, we, you have to get a hold of those things by prescription because it's dangerous, and so, um, so there's a, obviously there's a time for all kinds of different things, but uh, but uh, it's not something that we should be partaking of outside of those those extreme medical situations. So um, it certainly is not the place of a pastor or any saint to be high on narcotics or alcohol. Right. So today a lot of pill popping going on, and um, and so obviously that's not something that we should be about either. It'll affect our judgment. So personally, I just got to be careful with NyQuil. That stuff will fog my mind for at least 12 hours, so I got to be careful. All right, so um, so the next one, Any? let me pause there. Is there any comments or discussion? Any Anybody want to throw anything at me? Okay, so uh, number, number 10 uh, is no striker. So you can't go bowling. No, just kidding. So this uh, this admonition is also found in Titus 1.7. Um, this is a man who is looking for a fight. So, uh, you know, if, if you want to get in a fight, you know, you can save that for the UFC. But there may there may be many a day uh, you really want to lash out. But in reality, you cannot. A, a man of God uh, is not a striker. And so that's all there is to it. Uh, this is especially means verbally, though. It's not just physical. Verbally, we shouldn't be strikers either. I've witnessed some c- cruel strikers who lack soberness and temperance in the pulpit and have unleashed vicious strikes uh, upon innocent sheep. So you've got to be careful 
there. That's important. They're, they are not in the ministry uh, any longer. The Lord nor His people appreciate a sharp tongue uh, that has no grace. Uh, these are people that I personally know. But I have seen people that are, they're not physically abusive, but they verbally have abused people from the pulpit. I, I, I cringe when I see that. It's it's terrible. And so, um, but this is talking literally about a striker, a brawler, you know, somebody who wants to throw down all the time. Uh, there's obviously a threshold that the Lord allows when it comes to defense. Just to be balanced, this passage is not instructing a Christian to lie down and let someone assault your wife and children. Um, Romans 12:18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So I would say most of the time, if there was a if there was a situation that would cause for strikes, it would probably have to do something with defending someone else, not yourself, most of the time. Um, and so... Um, you know, it's just best to, you know, I, I have really, I do believe there are times, there are occasional times when, you know, having to defend yourself is, is a, a, you know, is the only recourse. Uh, but typically, I believe most people that are, you don't usually find a fight unless you're looking for a fight, with exception. Right there's there are a few exceptions so, but it's usually the exception, not the rule. Um, you don't really have to worry too much about being a striker if you're not looking for a fight. Uh, and usually those things are always precipitated with a verbal verbal strike, um, most of the time, and not always, but most of the time. So, and nobody's going to have an exception with somebody striking if somebody assaults them, you know, unwittingly or what have you, or just comes out of nowhere. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. So, uh, anyway, is there any questions or discussions on that? I mean, it's pretty straight. Yes, ma'am. Yep, grievous words. <laughs> I'm praying. Yeah, a soft answer does turn away wrath, and, and grievous words stir up anger. Yeah, so if you want to, that's how it usually escalates. Um, and this is, I do believe too, this is dealing with, there are people that are giving, given to physical violence, and they are looking for uh, a man, in a man here, we're talking about men, men who are actually quick to throw strikes. They're quick to punch. They're quick to hit. They're quick to shove. They're quick to get physical. That is not a guy you need in a ministry as a, as a leader. Um, that guy needs to grow up. That's what little kids do because they don't know how to control their emotions. All right, number 11 is not greedy of filthy lucre. Uh, the word lucre is not archaic as some would lead you to believe. We, we still use the word lucrative all the time to define uh, potential uh, for very large profits. It's a lucrative situation. So, therefore, we understand what lucre is. It's the it's that lust for some filthy money. He's not just saying something that's lucrative, but filthy lucre. And so, there's always a fast track. And there often a pastor will misuse the pulpit uh, to work business deals with uh, to benefit him. Uh, this man will ultimately erode his own character and be out of the mystery, out of the ministry. Uh, you know, one of the most notorious situations, which was not even part of the true church, but part of the Roman Catholic uh, Universal Church there. Uh, in 1982, Robert Calvey was uh, found hanging from a bridge with $15,000 in his pockets and bricks in his coat. Um, and to this day, f- uh, few believe that Mr. Calvey committed suicide, uh, which that is kind of questionable under those circumstances. So what did he do? What was Mr. Calvey involved in? Well, he was laundering money for the Vatican Bank to the tune of $700,000 to $1.5 billion uh, U.S. through his Italian bank, Banco uh, Am- 
Ambartano, I think is how it is, A-M-B-R-A-T-I-A-N-O. And when it comes to, to um, you know, uh, and when it became public that he was missing millions, if not billions, he was ex- expendable. And the Vatican ended up paying out about uh, $200 million to the United States to cover the matter. And so, so if you need an example of what is filthy lucre, uh, most of that money, it is surmised, it was uh, cartel money uh, and was being laundered through the Vatican Bank. So, my friends, that's filthy lucre. That's filthy lucre right there. Um, and if you used to be, you could Google God's Banker and you could look this story up. I actually saw it in the 80s or 90s, early 90s, late 80s somewhere uh, on like a 2020. And uh, one of the priests involved was living in retirement down here in Arizona. and Or the Cardinal, was a Cardinal that was facilitating some of that. Uh, he was he was living fine down in, in the retirement community down here in the in Arizona. But now I don't even think you can Google it and find it. It's kind of been expunged from the record. So you have to you have to dig a little deeper now to find this. But this is true what I just said. So there's there's opportunities. The point is is you don't want a man in the in the pulpit that's misusing uh the 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 pulpit for filthy lucre. And so uh and of course there's all kinds of men doing that and they're easy to find. Um, a lot of a lot of pastors are enriching themselves. I, I literally just watched a testimony this week about a pastor who was doing that um, in a mega church, and uh, he was he ended up having to he ended up returning a bunch of money to the church that he had basically kited out of there. So, um, and I've been involved in churches where pastors have been accused of that and been more than accused, been convicted and gone and done prison time for that. So, I heard a testimony of a pastor many years ago. It was before about the time we were probably starting this church i never forgot it and it was a small church pastor that um and uh, and he uh, there was nobody to do the books and so uh he literally put the books on the altar nobody would come forward to take care of the books so he just felt like he had to do it and it was kind of like a little wine before long he was taking money he shouldn't have justifying it because he was working you know long hours and he couldn't make ends meet or whatever and got him in all kinds of moral problems and he ended up uh, you know, uh, paying a dear price for it. He's no longer in the ministry, but he was sharing uh, with the, you know, that's his admonition, you know, just stay away from the money. Um, so we got to be, you know, and this is in particular is dealing with uh, dirty money, filthy lucre. So we must be unwilling to allow dirty money to taint us. And so now in the USA, at least right now, this isn't as much of a temptation. It could be in the near future uh, because of, uh, and I know within our church there's people that operate, you know, under the table, so to speak, outside the tax system. So it's a little bit like if you're in another country, it's a lot easier for this to be a situation. If you have an unstable government and the economic system is not stable and the government's as corrupt as the mafia, right? And so then it's a, then this is a really hard situation. It's, it's a much more... Uh, you know, relevant situation. If you're in Colombia or some other country and you're a pastor, there's people that want to influence you with money. There's people that, you know, this happened in a church. I will not mention that a pastor, uh, had a rich fella started trying to manipulate the ministry and the pastor was foolish enough to get on his payroll. Uh, and before you know it, it caused a, a big problem. That pastor was out of the ministry. Actually, he ended up going to another church in another state, and, it, and it, the church voted him out because he, the leadership got rid of him because the man that was manipulating him was a complete, uh, you know, 
uh, unsavory character, right? And he was a bad testimony. And uh, the church, the leadership was like, you cannot have, you, you don't need to work for this guy, and we don't need his money. We don't want his money because of his testimony in the community. If he's going to give, give anonymously, but don't let him have influence. And so those are the things that can really happen and here in the USA, too. But I really, I really, uh, you got to be really careful also in a context of when there's black market economies and things like that that are rampant, like we'll end up having here, by the way, if our economy continues to go socialistic, communism, Marxist, then you'll see much more black market economy. And then it gets a little dicey because uh, your average church member starts living in the black market. And I experienced that when I went to Romania many years ago after the fall of Ceausescu. The black market economy was really sometimes the only way a guy can function so that's that puts a pastor in a very difficult situation um and so you know where do they exchange money and when you're exchanging money not in the through the market who you're getting it from and who's behind that money and who's really handling the loans et cetera, et cetera. and so that's where a pastor needs to be exceedingly wise and keep the church pure from all that so you don't want to go out and get your next building loan from guido the guy that's running the black market economy down here at the corner of you know whatever and whatever and uh, man we got the best deal possible Can can you believe it? Well, there's always a catch. <laughs> so, so a man that's going to be in a pulpit though needs to be wise to those things, and uh, and so that's very important. So I can imagine Paul teaching Timothy in Ephesus. You know, hey, be careful, Timothy. Make sure that the men that you install are not on the on on someone's payroll. Right, they're not greedy of filthy lucre. They're not. They're not looking at that guy down the street driving that Cadillac with all those rings on his finger and saying, "Man, I sure want what he's got." No, you don't want what he's got because he didn't get that. It's filthy. That's filthy, dirty money. So if you're in Boston, let's say practically speaking in a in a contemporary context, and Mike's in Boston, right, and Whitey Bulger's working the neighborhood, you don't. I would say you do not need money from Whitey Bulger. If you guys know who that is, he's dead now. But uh, anyway. That guy ran Boston just until a few years ago. And uh, that's not the kind of guy who who you want uh, financing your church program. And so filthy lucre, stay away from it. Don't be greedy of it. Don't be looking for it. And so, um, <clears throat> so we got to be. We must be unwilling to allow dirty money to taint us. Uh, and so, when Simon the sorcerer wanted to purchase the power of God, Peter set him straight. So Peter wasn't given to filthy lucre. In Acts uh, eight nineteen through twenty, uh, Simon said, um, or uh, Peter said to Simon the sorcerer, saying, "Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost." But Peter said unto him, "Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast." thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. That's a pretty telling statement. So uh, it offend, it's offensive to a man of God to think that somebody will walk in with filthy lucre of this world and influence the church and influence the power of God. That's just absolutely... Uh, you know that's uncalled for so this is one reason pastors need to be careful about political power as well and power plays by politicians it uh, may not be about money but about the brokering of influence i'm very careful for that and and as a pastor uh, you get that all the time i literally get that i get i only get contacted by uh, uh, politicians because of that typically i just kind of start there that's why i guarantee you there's not a lot of politicians looking at my address calling me up for anything they don't care about Brian Hedges. The only reason they call me and get a hold of me typically, huh? They want, they want inf they want influence of two hundred people, and uh, and so I'm pretty I'm pretty careful with that too. And so um, 
So the church is not to be used to leverage the the world, but to win them through a chaste testimony. So the church is not a harlot. She is the bride of Christ. Christ owns us. We're beholden to him only. And uh, that's the way it's going to stay. All right, so so a pastor needs to have that mindset, point uh, 12 here. But a patient, uh, right? So in lieu of being given to wine and being a striker, so we've kind of changed here, right? Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, semicolon. Well, in lieu of that, so what are we going to replace that with? Well, I'm glad you asked. Patience, right? Patience. In lieu of given to, being given to wine and being a striker and being greedy of filthy lucre, be patient. And this doesn't just mean for pastors. This means for every everyone, right? And so... Uh, the great equalizer is patience, and this is a Bible code for suffering. Allow patience to have her perfect work, James says in, in uh, verse 4 of, of James 1. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, right? That's complete, entire, wanting nothing, wanting no thing. So patience kind of takes over, and we don't have to have it now, right? I think all of everyone in America right now could learn some patience. Because right, we're being, we're always being led, carrot and stick, to want things that to feel like we need things that we don't really need, and and they play on our want to. I was just telling me and my daughter we're having this conversation after church today. I was sitting in my office and I get an ad for something that I don't want, and I say don't want it, and uh, then they want to know all the reasons why. It's like none of their business, right? I was I was telling Elizabeth the reason they're doing that is they're trying to figure out what my what my wants are. So that they can put things in front of my face, so that they can get me to, to, they can manipulate me. I said I was just talking about the technology and and how dangerous it can be, and so um, you know we have to be patient. We have to be willing then to be patient. We have to be willing to suffer, and and um, and to allow things to go that go on. So this is not only something that saints need to exercise when suffering but it needs to be displayed to others it's 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 a poor pastor who is impatient with the lord's flock one must be careful with the sheep lest he beat the sheep instead of gently lead them and and so leading the flock is important not beating the sheep and i sure hope i don't i hope i don't do that i can get zealous but i don't want to beat the sheep i want to lead the sheep that's what we should be doing so hebrews 13 tells us in verse 20 now the god of peace that brought again <clears throat> that brought again from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep uh, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you uh, that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so uh, the God of peace, right? He's the God of peace. He calls us to be patient. And we should certainly do be perfect in every good work. And so when, when you go back to Genesis 13, you see Abraham allowed Lot to have his choice of property to keep the peace in the family. He suffered Lot to take the greenest grass so that they could keep peace in the family. Of course, that didn't work out good for Lot because uh, spiritually that was the worst place to go. And, and so Abraham was patient and was willing to wait on God's blessing. He didn't need it now. But Lot looked on it and said, I want that and I want it now. And so Lot looked on the fertile plain of Jordan and the cities of Sodom, and he didn't even pray about it, right? There's nothing to pray about that, man. Uncle Lot said, go, you can have it, I'm going to take it. He gave me the option. I, I can't wait to get a hold of that green grass down there. Think of the herds we're going to have. And you know what? Before it's over, he don't even have a herd. He's sitting in the city gate. 
he 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 turned in all of his herds for positions of prominence in the city, and uh, he became part of the problem instead of part of the solution. And so uh, he moved to the plain of Sodom quicker than Jed Clampett moved to Beverly Hills. He could not wait to get there. All right, and so uh, I'm going to finish up with not a brawler, and we'll pick it up on the knots. Um, I'll tell you what, since we're going back and forth between the haves and have-nots, we'll just stop here on uh, on 13 and uh, on, on not a brawl. We'll pick that up next week because we've already talked about not a striker. So we'll talk about the difference because uh, it does tie together. All right, well, let's uh, pause there because I'm running out of time. And this is longer than I thought. So um, that gives us enough. I'll be able to finish up next week. All right, so uh, any questions or thoughts or comments on these character qualities? We cover them in D2 thoroughly. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing that Paul saw, or Timothy saw Paul fight with Beast of Ephesus too. That's true. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he mentions that. As much as life in you. <laughs> And you can see that Paul had a temper. I mean, I mean, he he when he got struck, um, um, I think that was up in uh, Caesarea, Philippi, and you know, you know, he it was hard for him to maintain his composure. Uh, he called that guy a whited wall, and you know, verbally he he verbally struck back, but he he maintained his cools. So it's not that you know he's asking for some impossible level of grace here. I mean, we're talking about with as much as life in you, Paul. Is thank you, Ron, for pointing that balancing point out. Paul did fight, right, literally, uh, and so there's times when you, I mean, it happens, and uh, you know, our this culture is crazy, but it's. We're pretty docile compared to the way it was even just when I was a kid. So, um, anyway, won't get into all that. But the point is, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. You do have to defend yourself. And so, um, as much as life in you, even the coward of the county, right, had to go take care of business eventually. So, uh, yes, ma'am. I think our church is really blessed by your policy on money, on not wanting to know who gets what. Mm -hmm. That is true, and I, you know, I do it more because I don't want to be swayed by those who don't give. It's very disappointing. When we first started the church, um, I was glad of that policy because I, we had enough. Our giving, our numbers doubled, and our giving didn't there in the first four years or so. And I, and I was like, wow. And so I kind of knew the people who started the church were the ones that were giving. And, uh, and as people started coming, so. Um, it's good not to know. You're the only pastor that I know of, that I've known of, who is that way with who gives and who doesn't. Really? Yeah, because I think most pastors that I know who's going to be giving and they're huh. by it. Yeah, I, well, I don't know, don't want to know. And I don't really care. God gives, God's giving, you know. But that's why I say we are blessed by that Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. By who gave? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I try to keep that policy with with uh, um, politicians as well. So, and. Uh, that can turn on you in a hurry with those guys and gals. 
So you got to be you got to be wise to that as well. Well, um, yeah. Our only policy that we have is that if you are a leader, right, in the church, then uh, that there's an expectation that you give, but we don't check on exactly who, what, and where. Uh, unless there's a real problem, then we'll be notified. In the past here, when that there has been a few times uh, as we select deacons, um, whenever a deacon doesn't... Um, let me take this off. So...